Episode 264, Bonus Edition, Interview with Dr. John Shambari. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Empowering Educators Podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're going to hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Welcome to the Always a Lesson Summer Interview Series. I've asked some very special guests to bring their wisdom to you all throughout May, June, July, and August. Connecting you with other elite educators is one of my favorite parts of this job as a teacher leader and podcaster. The insight that you are going to gain from these conversations is going to prepare you to hit the ground running during the back-to-school season, but more importantly, it is going to reignite your passion and your potential as an educator. Are you ready to level up what you bring to the table and how you serve those you lead? We have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite that passion and potential by learning from another elite educator, John Shambari. He has an empowering message, but before we dive into that, let me tell you a little bit more about him. So let me formally say Dr. John Shambari. He's an improvement coach through which he supports teachers and school leaders by performing on-site evaluations, identifying data-informed trends, reviewing curriculum assessment materials, creating improvement plans, coaching individuals one-on-one, developing and delivering group trainings to educators, and implementing evidence-based instructional strategies that improve teaching practices and increase student learning. And if you've been around the block with me, you know those are two things I believe in teacher proficiency and student achievement. So John is my guy. So prior to his time as a consultant, he served as a middle school teacher, high school social studies teacher, founding high school principal, K-12 district CAO, leadership development facilitator, and national director of teacher and school leader learning. Holy cow, John's the man. He has lived and worked internationally, in Japan, Saudi Arabia, United Kingdom. Oh my gosh, what an amazing guy. He's from Jersey, guys, so don't worry. He's definitely all about the American school system and what we can do to improve outcomes for our kids and our teachers. So let us dive in to hear what this amazing Dr. John Shambari has to say. Hey, John, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Thank you, Gretchen. Glad to be here. We have educators who are listening around the world. They're just really eager to find out who is John? How does he impact education? Give me all the tips and tricks. So I'm going to dive in if you don't mind. Go for it. Okay. So let's set the scene. Uh, how did you and I meet each other? How did our paths cross? And more essentially, how is that important for those who are listening? Sure. So as an educational consultant, 
I really enjoy linking with people on LinkedIn and reading what they're posting about when it comes to education. I'm a member of various consulting networks. So it's really important to me to be out there and engaging with others in the field. And I've had the opportunity, Gretchen, to listen to your podcast in the past. And I really enjoy how you focus on individuals doing the everyday work in education. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it would be great to reach out to you and to see if we could have a conversation like we're having today. I think that's a great message to those listening that you need to grow your own PLN. And as John is saying, he went and looked in all his social media accounts, tried to find some good people to connect with, learn from, grow with. And he found me and started listening and then said, hey, let's chat because I want to contribute to your listeners as well. I think I have a message I can share. And then now I can connect him to other people that I might know. And so if you're listening, thinking, well, I've always wanted to know other educators around the world, or I've always wanted to have a conversation like this, you can simply send them a message. It doesn't have to be anything formal, but educators no longer have to stay in the four walls of their classroom, their school building, their district. You can use the power of social media and all that is out there to learn and grow from everyone else. Do you agree? Oh, totally, Gretchen. You know, I do, like I said, I do work across schools and I do work with teachers to improve their teaching craft. And what I find really interesting is that there are a lot of educators not maximizing social media. Mm -hmm. Now, I get that social media has a dark edge, right? but <laughs> there are, exactly, there are appropriate, really useful ways of using it. So for example, on LinkedIn, right? Lots of people think that's just about getting a job. Mm -hmm. And while, yes, it is probably the largest job convention that there is out there. I find, given the number of education groups, given the number of people posting not only about what they're doing in their day-to-day -day work in education, but who they're following, who they're listening to, the resources that they're using, I have grown just in terms of my knowledge of the resources that are out there to help us teach and learn better just by engaging in that way. So I think you hit it right on the head when you, what you said what you did. Yeah, and you got to be really intentional. I know a lot of folks love Instagram because you could see photos and you like color-coded classrooms and all of the behind the scenes you get to see. And I do like, you know, to enjoy that as well. However, if I'm on social to learn or to connect with someone who's great in an area I'm weak, that's probably not going to be the place. A Twitter chat or clubhouse conversation, or like you mentioned, there's groups on LinkedIn. People don't even know that, that you can go and say, wow, these are like powerful educators. Let's go behind the scenes in terms of how do we actually execute? What are the, the mindset? What are the characteristics of a strong educator with a great career? Those things aren't necessarily in a photo. So I just want us to think through, are you spending your time on social media just consuming things that are pretty, that aren't actually making you better? Or are you in places where you're surrounding yourself with people who are elevated in terms of what their, how their impact is in education? And, and I'm not a Debbie Downer and saying you can't enjoy things like pictures and, and, right. and the Instagram life. I'm not saying that. There is a time and place. But if you're someone who's like, 
I deserve a raise or I deserve a leadership position. What are you doing to make that happen? And if you're spending your free time just passively scrolling and you're not really connecting, you're not growing, you're stagnating. So use it as an opportunity, use it as a tool, like you said, and find out all the different platforms have their own edge and it could really help you and propel you in the right direction. So we obviously are proponents of that. (laughs) Uh, So I'm glad that we took that little side turn there. Will you tell us, I know you mentioned you're an educational consultant, but can you also walk us backwards to where it all started for you in education and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So when I was younger and thinking about what career I wanted to go into, I ended up actually pursuing a path in government, political science. I ended up getting a master's degree in international relations. Now that might not sound like it's related, but I'll quickly get there. So I had the opportunity, Gretchen, at that time to work in various think tanks in Washington, D.C. that really focused on international politics, international affairs, diplomacy. And one aspect of that work that I always enjoyed was working with the interns, largely because they weren't that different from me in terms of my age. They were, some of them were graduate interns, so some of them might've even actually been older than me. But I really enjoyed that that teaching aspect. At the same time, Uh, In my graduate program, I befriended someone who had been on the Japan exchange and teaching program before we both went to graduate school. And just by being her friend and hearing about her learning, I mean, her experiences teaching in Japan, I said, you know, that sounds really interesting. So it kind of was a, a confluence of things. So having worked with interns At the same time, having been teaching adults ESL at the local community college and then just really getting wrapped up in my friend's stories about teaching in Japan, I, too, decided to go teach in Japan. Did that for a couple of years, came back. And in a way, I'm glad I didn't realize at the time just how different education in Japan and the United States are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if I would have made the same decision. But I'm glad I did make the decision that I made, which was to go into American education. And so I started teaching, taught sixth grade for a year, but really found that I wanted to bring back in my knowledge in politics and government. And then I made the switch to high school social studies. And Gretchen, from there, I had an opportunity to work in a long public safety magnet high school program. And then from there to start my own high school as founding principal of American History High in Newark. So, yeah, it's really funny how things that on the surface seem very disparate Mm -hmm. can actually come together and and, and form the perfect package, if you will. Yeah, I agree, because you might look at your own experiences and think, gosh, this is random or, or they're all not leading one way, but they all will come together in the end. And if you know exactly where you're trying to go, or you at least connect with someone who's at least one step ahead of you, your path will start forming and you will be able to leverage all your experiences on all your skill sets and look at what you've been able to accomplish. So congratulations. That's really exciting. Yeah. Thank you. So again, any of your listeners listening to this podcast, don't think you're never going to use something again in your past when you're teaching, because that's what makes each of us as educators unique. And, yeah. that's and, and don't be shy about work. sharing it because exactly. it, 
if you're in a situation and you might think, oh, I'm brand new, like for example, for you, like, oh, I'm founding principal, like I've never been in this position before, or I have to make all the decisions for the first time. However, there are other people and yourself who do bring stuff to the table, even though you haven't been doing it for forever. So be sure to create an opportunity to one, share your story and to ask others what they bring to the table. How can they better what you're doing? And you'll be shocked how you really lean on each other. It's it's not a silo. And I think especially in leadership and at your position, especially you think, well, I'm the decision maker uh, and you might have the final say, but so much goes on behind closed doors of I'm making those decisions. It's a collaborative effort. Exactly. And in fact, I would argue, Gretchen, that a leader as opposed to a manager mm-hmm. is the person who provides those multiple access points to allow other stakeholders a say in how decisions are made. Decisions shouldn't just be made by the leader, but again, by the community at large, because hopefully a true leader understands that it's about empowering the community, not necessarily about empowering themselves. And they want to set up a school community that can even outlive you or outlive Mm -hmm. the leader where there are multiple people that could come in and and again, move the leadership forward when your time with that organization is done. And I do think that that is one of the key differences between being a manager and being a true educational leader. So, you know, as a leader, are you bringing in school leadership teams uh, where there are, you know, parents and students on the committee as well as teachers? Are you allowing teachers to engage in PLC processes? professional learning community processes. So again, I think there are so many opportunities to have leadership at all levels of an organization. Yeah. And if you're not in the position to create that, you can still advocate for it. If you're a teacher in a classroom and you see a need and you're listening to this podcast and saying, wow, this this leader's kind of managing and not really allowing us all to have a seat at the table, think about how you can mesh their leadership style with what you know is going to be best for your school. Because just like you said, John, it's not about that one leader. There's a legacy in a school building. And how are you going to keep it going once that person's gone? And and so don't be afraid to speak up and say, I would love to have uh, consistent PLCs, or I would love to invite the community in to have a say. Maybe they don't join the meeting. Maybe it's a survey, or maybe you go out and collect data or, or statements or, you know, there are ways to get creative to still allow everyone to be part of it because this collective effort creates buy-in, creates motivation, really creates that school family. And we've, we've learned, especially during the pandemic, we cannot do all this alone. It really requires all of us to step up and give our best. Exactly. I mean, people have to have a vested interest in the success of something. And all of us, you know, especially in education communities, want hopefully the best for our children and parents have a knowledge set about their students students themselves under you know even though they might be young have a certain level of of self-awareness and understanding again we want to bring all of that in if we truly want to help our students to learn because again like you mentioned Gretchen, Gretchen there are so many people that bring in their own unique experiences and we even see that now with the rise, which I think is a, is a good thing, in the importance and use of culturally relevant pedagogy and bringing in pedagogy that sees students not as having deficits per se, 
but really having assets and a cultural background and a knowledge that that we should be accessing so students can learn. So whether it's in a leadership context about bringing in everyone into leadership to make better leadership decisions, or again, whether it's in an individual teacher's classroom, I think we need to continue to do more in bringing in unique perspectives and unique talents of, of everyone that's sitting in that class. Yeah, I 100% agree. Do you think that that's the best lesson you learn in leadership is giving everyone a seat at the table? Or is there something else that you feel like, wow, this is definitely the strongest lesson I've had to learn? Yeah, I definitely think that that is one of the major lessons that I've learned. I think also, too, the other lesson I learned is while we as teachers and educators obviously have something to impart, we have our own knowledge base, uh, if you will. And yes, there is an aspect, obviously, of teaching where we are transmitting our knowledge about content to our students, whether those are elementary students, or high school students, or even on the university level. But I think the other piece of education, particularly in the 21st century, where we don't know, for example, what jobs are coming down the pike or what important socio-political issues our next generations are going to be facing. I think the other important lesson that I learned is in teaching is it's really about helping, again, not only students to access their knowledge sets, their talents, but also to have students learning the skill of self-assessing their level of knowledge, goal-setting, working with others, collaboratively solving problems. So the other, I think, major lesson I learned is definitely, yes, I'm a teacher of content. And this maybe goes out more, Gretchen, to, to my high school folks, who I do tend to hear more often say things like, well, I teach social studies. Well, that's true, or I teach math. But we're all literacy teachers because our students need to be able to communicate with each other in multiple ways to extend their knowledge. And we're all skills-based teachers, or should be anyway. So I would say that that would be the other lesson I've learned as an educator. Hey, y'all, popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they too can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. And do you think since you've worked with so many teachers and educators, whether they're in leadership roles or not, do you think that having that initiative to learn the skills of setting their own goals and connecting to, to people that could be their own mentors, do you think that's like the it factor that you see that and you're like, that teacher's going to be successful? Or is there some other combination of characteristics that you've noticed? Yeah, definitely. And I don't want it to sound like it's, oh, well, new teachers don't have that skill and uh, all veteran teachers do. I, I don't. I think it's on a case by case individual basis. And yes, when I come across teachers I'm coaching or collaborating with, those that come to me and say, hey, John, I have a question about this or I need some support around this, or this is where I want to take my class. I do have a good feeling that they will be successful because they do have that sense 
of where they are and where they want to go and what they hope to achieve. That's the best form of, of coaching, really, because you're not forcing Gretchen, anyone to do anything that they don't want to do. They've already had that. We talked about this a little bit earlier. They already have that vested interest because they want to be working on that particular thing. Now, do I always work with educators like that? No, I don't say that as a, as you know, a negative because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So sometimes my work does involve working with teachers who might not realize maybe some of the opportunities they do have to increase their craft. And then it's my role to really sit with them and say, hey, what did you think about that? Did you like it? Did you not like it? What would you do differently if you could, if you want to even? Or, you know, how do you think that class went to try to get them to start you know, self-advocating for themselves in terms of what they want for their class and their students. So I wouldn't say that those people are any going to be any less predisposed to or being any more predisposed to being unsuccessful. I think in that case, it's just my job is really just making them aware, again, of where those opportunities are to improve their craft. But as long as an educator gets to that point, where they do start then thinking about what they want for their teaching craft, how they want to improve their teaching so all of their students can be successful in their class, then yes, those are, in my opinion, going to be more successful educators in hopefully not only changing craft, but again, seeing the, the results in student achievement and growth that they want to see. Well, something I noticed you doing is something I've worked on the last year or so was asking better questions and whether they're leading questions or not, I've really learned to help teachers do the thinking and take the ownership of problem solving. Although I'm there to help you coach you through it, you were doing that in your example of helping pass that ownership. And if you're a teacher in a classroom, you could still coach students in the same exact way. The more you know about your kids through questioning and getting to the root of things, you're better able to help them. But also, and earlier in our chat, we were talking a lot about the life skills and ensuring kids are prepped to leave and, and they know how to execute instead of just waiting and, and being able to do their own thinking. And so as a teacher, if you build in time to just always prompt them along, they will be able to become reliant on themselves and you can uh, get into some deeper conversations and deeper learning that way. So it was cool to listen to you give some examples of questions. And I felt like, yes, I've been working on that too. And I would say that as well makes a great educator. You've been doing a, a, a great job of giving some advice here. And we've got a variety of listeners. Some are new teachers that we were just kind of mentioning. We've got teacher leaders, which are you and I. And then we've got those that are transitioning maybe into different roles or in a situation of distress like COVID, or maybe they need to leave their job. So if you were to pick kind of a category that I just mentioned and speak directly to that group of teachers, who would you pick and what would you tell them? Sure. Maybe I could say a little bit about each of those groups. Yeah, so, go ahead. Excellent. So, Gretchen, we talked already before about there being resources out there, both in terms of people, such as yourself and, and myself. They are themselves their best resource. You know, no one says that they can't go to a colleague and say, hey, let's, let's start an informal book club about this research over here. Or, hey, can I visit your classroom? 
uh, to see how you're working on XYZ with your students. So whether those are new teachers who are just struggling with trying to get it all down or teachers in distress about a particular issue, again, my advice for them would be there are resources out there for them, both in terms of people and materials and thought and nothing even as intensely personal as it feels educators throughout time have had similar concerns distress uh it's nothing new valid point yeah you know so you know so take comfort in that as isolating as or as isolated as you might feel in your distress or in feeling overwhelmed there are supports out there there are tried and true best practices that will help make things easier. Not completely eradicate all issues with teaching, obviously, but make things a little easier. So that's what I would say for new teachers or teachers in distress. Mm -hmm. As for teachers transitioning out, just because you're not in the classroom doesn't mean you can't still have an impact in education. Yes. I look at my career as a, as a point and example, as a point or an example, I should say, where, you know, I was a sitting administrator in a district and I was doing some work uh, in a charter network out in California. For various reasons, I came back home to New Jersey. And at that time, which was about 26 to myself, well, do I want to go immediately back into another role, another full-time role, or do I want to see if I can put out my own shingle? If, given the knowledge that I've had working in different kinds of organizations, all related to student learning, you know, how can I take the knowledge that I do have and replicate it mm-hmm. or help put different charter networks together or different schools together and really replicate best practice? So it made sense for me at that time, Gretchen, to consider education consulting. And I have been doing that, doing this since that time. So for your folks transitioning out, there are so many different opportunities to be an educational consultant and so many different types of clients to support. Another thing I do, I am a part-time facilitator with NWEA. So occasionally I'll even go out and support school communities that have purchased the map growth diagnostic and really help them use that data to really be responsive in their lesson planning and to really differentiate their learning based on what the data is telling them their students need. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. People can go out, go work for textbook publishers, go out and work for assessment companies, or they can also do what I'm doing if they're teacher leaders and have experience coaching others. They could also go out on a long-term contract and work in a school with a cadre of teachers to improve teaching craft. So there are so many different ways someone can still have impact in education, even if they do figure out that the classroom is not necessarily for them. Yeah, it's all transferable skills. And it isn't until you start having the conversation or sharing it with whoever might be your leader in the building, that they might have a connection for you and say, I recognize that it's time for you to grow, or I'm recognizing that this is difficult and not the right place for you at this time. However, I do know somebody or I do know something uh, that might be good for you. So don't be afraid to just be honest about 
what your thoughts are because that might lead to your next step and and a connection. So I 100% agree with there's so much in your personal and professional life that can aid you in along your journey. So don't discount your degrees or uh, your experiences. It'll all come to fruition for sure. Exactly. You- exactly. And I mean, look at how many companies do require people if you do decide Gretchen to say leave education look at how many companies do require people with speaking skills presentation skills mm-hmm. uh, professional development facilitation skills uh, and again people can do that with still within the education field or even if they go into another field like you were saying those skills are not lost in fact I would argue that those schools are probably pretty much in demand yeah <laughs> I mean, just think of what educators do in five minutes, like just the multitasking, the way you have to think ahead, be prepared, the thorough planning, the collaboration with others, the presentation, all of that is stuff that the business world definitely is like, oh my gosh, you can do all that and do it well and not, you know, flub. And it's like, yeah, this is what teachers do all day long. Uh, So you would be shocked at how much you can actually leverage and, and be ahead of a candidate who might have the subject or area knowledge, whatever you're going into, but you have all these other things that actually will put you further down the road. You can, you can learn the content later. Exactly. Cause it really is about connecting with that brand's audience, if you will, or, you know, really figuring out how to transfer, transfer that information or that knowledge that you want to transfer. So you can have, and this goes to what we were talking about before, you can have all the content knowledge in the world. If you can't transmit that mm-hmm. or get other people interested in that, then you can't teach. So, you know, or you can't promote your brand. So yes. So teachers, I like you're saying, we have that skill in droves. <laughs> yeah. You seem like you've been a great mentor to other people. Do you have a mentor you go to or do you just find other people to connect with and they kind of help guide you? I, a, a little bit of both. So one of the benefits of being a consultant, working with different organizations is the opportunity to be part of networks. So I belong, for example, to Catalyst Ed's Provider Network, which is an organization that puts organizations in education interested in working with consultants on various projects together. So almost like a like a like a resource house or a sourcing house. So in addition to Catalyst Ed, say, putting me in touch with different corporate, uh, different organizations, nonprofits, organizations, that sort of thing. There is a, you know, a built in online and in-person network of different educators that I could go to and work with. So that's one example. And then again, being a consultant and working in so many different organizations, I have the opportunity, Gretchen, to work with a lot of other consultants who come from all kinds of different backgrounds, whether they were teacher leaders where they stayed in the classroom but again still mentored other teachers or whether my colleagues are retired superintendents of districts i'm coming across such talented people on a daily basis and a number of talented people on a daily basis that i have really taken the opportunity you know let's say i'm in a school and you know half the teachers are really doing well with coaching 
and the other half are just not buying into it because that does happen. Every school is different. It's not uncommon for me to go to maybe the account manager or go to another consultant working in that building with me and saying, hey, you're having really good success with uh, John Smith or Susie Jones. You know, what are some of the strategies you're using that's really making coaching impactful for them? And then I would add, you know, as a consultant, when you are putting out your own shingle, you have to be an expert at three things, Gretchen. You have to be an expert at what you say you're an expert in. In, in my case, you know, I hope I'm, um, you know, adding to the conversation around teaching, leading, and learning and, and, and providing value add. But you do also need to be an effective invoicer and an effective networker, really always refining what your brand is, what you do, what pain you do solve in education. And so to that regard, I've also been working with an executive leadership organization called Work It Daily, which is run by JT O'Donnell, who has really been helping me and other executives in the program to really define what leadership we can bring to whatever our industry is. So really been enjoying also learning from my colleagues in other industries who might also be involved in training where that overlap is. And that's, I think, real that involvement in that network has also really helped me to, again, define the, the types of support that I do want to provide the education community. I mean, I can talk about operations. I can work with the school leader around, you know, putting together a budget. But that doesn't, you know, really excite me as much as, like I was saying before, being able to replicate best practices, not just in one classroom or one school, but replicate best practices across the nation to really finally start hitting, you know, inequity in this country. A little bit of a long-winded answer, but I hope I answered it. Yeah, no, that's very fascinating. And I'm also wondering, is that your main way of of staying up to date on what's happening or are you finding yourself having to still research or, you know, get magazines or connect with additional networks or do you feel like you're really able to stay ahead of things through that? Not at all. I think you have to do all of that and above all the time because things are changing so fast in research. Mm-hmm. As you even research that we took as set, we're finding is is not good research. If we look at, for example, preferred learning style and what we're now finding about uh, out about that. So if my knowledge was static and just stopped, I would not know that we're now, you know, we really need to move beyond that and realize that we do need to differentiate how people learn and the modalities in which we're engaging people in learning. But we actually benefit from ha- from engaging in multiple modalities, not just one over another. So I just use that as an example to say that I think we always have to increase our knowledge. Uh, for example, I'm doing uh, one project in one school that I'm working at where they're really interested, again, we were talking before about culturally relevant pedagogy in bringing that into their daily practice but by particularly looking at the work of Dr. Goldie Muhammad, Cultivating Genius, and really looking at cultural relevant pedagogy from the lens of liberation, genius, and joy. So I've been enjoying in working with this school and also reading Dr. Muhammad's book, Cultivating Genius, and really seeing how she 
interprets what culturally relevant pedagogy is. And then how do we, myself with the school I'm working with, then implement uh, liberation, genius, and joy in the school as a whole. And then, you know, go-tos for me, and they might be go-tos for some of your listeners. And uh, if not, hopefully what I'm about to say might be helpful to them. Big fan of Kim Marshall's The Marshall Memo comes out every week, really synthesizes a lot of the new articles that have come out about education that week. So if you don't have time to read all those 80 or 90 periodicals that that Kim reviews every week or read all those articles, it can still give you a good grounding of what the research is telling us is best practice. And then other resources I use uh, that are my go-to, I definitely read the 74 online, Education Week, and I would add that I'm a big fan of educational leadership, uh, which I believe is published by ASCD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my favorite one. <laughs> you mentioned some new ones, though. I'll have to find those and put them in the show notes because I think anytime we can read and consume things that are recommended by our peers, then we're far more likely to actually invest our time in doing it. Oh, I'll add one more, Gretchen. So okay. there's also The Mean Idea, which is written in collaboration. Kim writes that uh, with a colleague, Jen David Lang. And whereas Kim summarizes articles that might have come out that week the main idea summarizes new books that might have come out in the last couple months so and then produces cliff notes around those those books so i like to tell plc teams and teacher teams hey even if you don't have time to read the book you might want to take a look at the at the notes because you could still gain nuggets of knowledge and replicate those notes across, you know, the, the the nuggets of knowledge in those notes across a classroom or across a school. So again, great resources. Yeah, a micro PD is the new thing. So a little micro book study with the cliff notes will be great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, time is an issue with educators, Gosh, but yet yes. we do still need to to you know keep up our game and and know what the research says is best practice. Absolutely. I want to ask you kind of a silly question, uh, but there's a method to my madness. I want folks to be able to hear an example of your all-star best teaching moment. If you want to do leadership moment, that is fine too. But I think it's great for us to take a second and brag on something that went really well because we want folks to be able to create that same energy and success in their own classrooms and school buildings. So it's a, it's a moment for you to shine. Go ahead, hit us with it. All right, got it. So I would say some of my best teaching moments have actually come after teaching, and let me explain. So I've been very fortunate, Gretchen. You know, no, I haven't had the opportunity to come across all my students again, but I have had the opportunity to come across some of my students again, sometimes in planned ways and sometimes in unplanned ways. So uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to actually go out to dinner with, with the one group of students that I taught when I was teaching high school. And it was so exciting to see them as successful members of society. It was fun to hear them apologize to me for all the, the heck <laughs> that was fun. 
it was fun to see their awkwardness and what to call me because mm -hmm. when they were students in my class, of course, they always said, can we call you John? And I said, no, when you graduate, you can call me John. And so at this dinner, it was very funny because there was a role reversal. They're calling me uh, doctor, doctor, Mr. Mr. John. Like you could physically see the pain in calling me John. Meanwhile, I was there saying, no, call me John. No, call me John. Yeah. And they're like, we can call you John. So it was like a whole role reverse. <laughs> but that was really nice to see. And I mean, I'm not so, I mean, I only had a very small part in these students' journey. But to still be able to connect with them so many years later and to see them connecting with each other, I was very pleased that this particular group of students stayed in touch all through university, even though they all went in different directions. And that tells me something about the bond we formed. Mm -hmm, the community. Exactly. This was that magnet uh, school in law and public safety that I mentioned. So that was a real joy for me and then most recently i was doing a little networking on you know in terms of my educational consulting and i'm talking to this young woman and and she's saying and i said oh and you know by the way thank you for agreeing to talk with me and by the way if i can help you in any way please let me know and then she writes back by the way do you remember teaching me in sixth grade? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that was totally random. But again, it was so super nice to connect with her and to see the successes that she's having and to see that she herself went into education. So, uh, so I would classify those as two of my highlights. If uh, if that makes sense, Gretchen. I love it. I love it. Brings up such great memories and talks about the long lasting effect and don't diminish your impact. I heard you say in there, you didn't have them for long, but it's sometimes you just need the right person at the right time to say the right thing. And all that could be is one comment and it totally transforms a kid's trajectory. So, um, I, obviously you did something great in what you set up in your classroom because you connected them to each other. They, took the ball and ran with it and stayed connected and then even have an interest in seeing you years later and to talk shop and exchange stories. That's just so valuable because remember, at the end of the day, we are teaching human beings. When I was younger, I would always focus on, let me get this content out. I got to teach this. I got to hit the standard. I got to do all the curriculum. And I was missing that most important piece is these are people. You've got to help raise and grow people first and then everything else comes. And I think both your examples uh, exemplify that. So thank you for sharing. I do want to be respectful of your time, but I have one last question for you. Sure. And that is, how do you reignite your passion and potential as an educator? Yeah, so I think it's embedded in everything we've been talking about. Networking, connecting with others, hearing, you know, their struggles and what helped them through their struggles and how that might help me through being a better or in being a better coach myself. Uh, that reignites my passion. Again, really being able to see Gretchen best practice starting to mutate across classrooms, right? So, you know, I want to talk about, you know, a positive virus and a positive virus being that replication of, of best teaching practices where when I go into a school, you know, I immediately know, or I often can immediately know 
which strategies, techniques, with teaching methods this school values. Because if I see similar teaching methods across classrooms, that's a contagion I want to spread, right? Mm -hmm. And that really ignites ignites my passion to really see the spread of good things, not bad things, but good things. And 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 so that really excites me when I see a teacher initially maybe hesitant about trying a new strategy and then they see it work and you could actually see the light bulb go off and then you see them applying it and then you see other teachers asking them not asking me but asking them hey how'd you do that oh i'm gonna try that that's what what gets me up in the morning to really be able to be a part of that i'm not going to see save you the cause of that because again teachers are the ones that need to be doing it but I just really get excited when I've, I've been able to provide that little nugget of support. Yeah, and I think you're shifting the focus from me, me, me to someone else. And that helps uh, shift your, your energy. And when you get lost in helping them, that kind of rejuvenates your spirit. Giving somehow makes us feel better. So I 100% agree with what you're stating there. Well, on behalf of elite educators everywhere, thank you so much for a great conversation, for your time, for reaching out. Can you tell us how to connect with you if we want to ask questions or follow your journey? Sure. So you can connect with me in two places. So uh, as I said, big fan of LinkedIn. So you could access my LinkedIn profile, John Chinberry, EDD. And I also do write on the Work It Daily platform as well. I mentioned that uh, career coaching that I'm receiving from JT O'Donnell. So people can check out my writings there as well. Awesome. Well, let's all start connecting with him as soon as possible. John, thanks so much for your time here. We'll chat soon. Thank you so much, Gretchen. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right, y'all. Wasn't that an empowering message from John? This man had lived and breathed a million lifetimes with so much to tell. So I highly encourage you to connect with him on social media. Take all his advice of how he continues to learn and grow and start subscribing to some of those places. I'll put those in the show notes. Just go to alwayslesson.com, click on podcast, find this episode. It'll all be laid out there for you. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Dr. John Shambari. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.